Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today taken from our epistle lesson. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And then Paul concludes the section by saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our text. Well, you've got a lot to learn. Never good when somebody says that to you. That means that uh, they at least think something's lacking in you. Although actually I overstated the case a little when I said it's never good when somebody says that because isn't that exactly what God says to us in our text? Everything that was written in the past, in the Bible, was written to teach us. And evidently we have a lot to learn because there's a lot that's written in this book. So let's see what God wants to teach us from his word today. The first thing he teaches, and you can follow along in your sermon outline, the first thing that he teaches is that we can learn a lot from the past. Now that hasn't always been a strong suit of God's people. I think that was made especially clear in our, in our reading of the story uh, this past fall. I don't know about you, but there were some times when I'd be reading it and, and almost began to wonder if I was reading the wrong chapter because didn't I just read that last week or, or the week before? They kept repeating the same mistakes over and over again, grumbling against God, failing to trust the one who had miraculously rescued them from that terrible slavery in Egypt. Of course, we're not always so good at learning from the past either. In our pride, we can begin to think that the past has nothing to teach us. After all, the past is, well, history. And history is just a bunch of boring facts about boring people. Now, at St. Lawrence, we might be a little more attuned to learning from the past. At least, I hope we are, because we can learn a lot from the history of, of our congregation. Although not today, that's for another time. Today we're going to stick with, with what God wants to teach us in his word. So what we learn from the past, first of all, is that what is recorded in the Bible really happened. And we didn't used to have to say that because it used to be safe to assume that everybody believed it. Not so anymore. And so let's just say it. From beginning to end, the Bible records facts. Creation really happened. Christmas really happened. God really did come to earth as a tiny baby. And it all happened for a reason. The Bible contains not only history, but also theology. 
And here's one way to talk about the difference between the two. History is about what happened. Theology is about why it happened. Jesus was born not just for the fun of it. Or not just to prove that God could do something so incredible. And his birth is recorded in scripture not just to impress us or or to give us a reason to decorate our homes or churches or to go out and, and buy Christmas presents. No, Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again and all of it recorded in scripture for one primary reason and that reason is theological. It is so you and I and all people can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can trust God to always do what's best for us. And if there's anything we need to keep learning from the past, that's it. We can trust God. But you know, while we learn from the past, we don't live there. And that's been a source of tension in the church, really from the very beginning, from the, from the first days of the church. What do we learn from the past? What do we keep from the past? And what do we discard as being no longer helpful? Well, those can be difficult decisions and many times very emotional ones as well. I can give you two right now examples. First, let me explain to you how I do sermon preparation. After, uh, after seeking the Lord's help to open my eyes and, and my heart to discover a word from him that, that he would have shared with his people, I, I searched the text for key words and doctrines around which to organize a sermon. Then I looked for examples to try to illustrate that. Well, that was my, the, the way that I approached this sermon as well. But I ran into a bit of a roadblock. I, I couldn't come up with any examples. Then all of a sudden I realized that I had two of them staring me right in the face. The first one is what we talked about in, in the greeting, actually, and that was the removal of a, a couple of pews from the church. As well, I kind of joked about that a little bit. I realized that that that's not something that people take lightly. Oh, some would say, yeah, go ahead, it doesn't matter. But for others, anytime you change anything about our worship space, well, that can be pretty emotional, and, and we don't take that sentiment lightly. The other example is what's happening with our monthly German worship service. It's changing. I don't know if you saw that announcement. It was in last week's bulletin. That, but uh, today is going to be Pastor Weber's last time leading that service. He's been our German preacher. So that service is going to change. Well, St. Lawrence was founded as a German-speaking congregation. It's a huge part of our heritage. Being German Lutheran, was who we were. Is that still the case? No. And I don't really think anybody would seriously argue that. But where the disagreements could come would be in determining how much 
that German heritage and language should be a part of our present and our future. There are bound to be different opinions on that, and I don't pretend to have the answers. So let me just share with you the promise that I gave to our German worshipers. And that is, if you like your German service, you can have your German service, period. Okay, thanks, Dave. That was funny. My wife warned me that might bomb because maybe not everybody watches Fox News as as much as I do. I was just having a, a little bit of fun at the expense of our president, I guess, and I didn't really say it that way. It was funny, though, wasn't it? Apparently not. All right, you were right, honey. But what we really said was that we want to provide a German service regularly as long as we're able to do it and people are willing to attend it. And we pray for God's wisdom as we, as we go forward with that service. So we learn from the past, but we live in the present. In our text, we learn that living in the present requires a couple things. The first is endurance, which comes from God. And you, and you can think of endurance as, as being what we need to have in order to keep going when things get tough. Like John the Baptist in our gospel reading. How tough was his job? Well, what was his job? Actually, our gospel lesson describes that for us very succinctly when it says it was to prepare the way for the Lord. That's also our job. Not to preach the way he did or or to wear funny clothes, but to live our lives in such a way that those around us see what it means to trust in Jesus and to pattern our lives after his. That's not always easy. Sometimes we get tired of of treating people the way Jesus always treats us, being kind to them, gentle, generous, forgiving, sensitive to their feelings, and and helpful with their needs. The patience, strength, endurance for that doesn't come from within. It comes only from God. As does the next important word our text uses. And that word is encouragement, which also comes from God. But your outline says it a little bit differently. You can see how it's it's written there in the scripture passage where St. Paul talks about through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. So encouragement comes from God's word. It also comes from God's people. I'm talking about the encouragement that we give and receive to live out our faith, to do what's right, to avoid what's wrong. Another way to say that God's people encourage one another is identified with these words from St. Paul, read a little bit later in Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves, as you follow Christ Jesus. Now, unity of spirit does not mean that we always agree. 
It doesn't mean that we go along to get along or that, that we politely pretend that no disagreements exist. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. I think that unity of spirit is best seen during those times when we don't agree with one another, but still we treat each other with respect, trusting one another's integrity and motives, even as we very much disagree with, with whatever their position is on a certain topic. I'm happy to tell you that the spirit of unity is alive and well at St. Lawrence and that it dawns on me that I don't say that often enough. But I was reminded of that again just this past Tuesday in our weekly pastors meeting. Somehow, I don't remember how, somehow the, the subject of anonymous letters came up. And one of the guys said he had heard uh, some pastors anyway say that, that they never read letters that aren't signed. And I said, that actually hasn't been my approach. Because there's a reason somebody writes a letter, and so I think I should read it, and, and, and there may well be something there that I need to hear. On the other hand, it's pretty easy for me to say that, because while I don't keep count of the number of anonymous letters that I receive in a typical year, I'm going to say it's like one or two. And I'm going to take this opportunity then to encourage you that if you have a question or a comment about something, whether it's something you agree with or disagree with, please search out your leaders and talk to us about that because the spirit of unity is, is not only demonstrated when we do that, it's also strengthened. And then to our third point in the outline. Girls and boys, have you heard the riddle... What is always coming, but never gets here? No, the answer isn't Christmas, even though it seems sometimes like it's never going to get here. What is the answer? Your parents know it. What's always coming and never gets here? Tomorrow. That's right. Why is that? Because when tomorrow gets here, oh, it's become today. But that's just another way of reminding ourselves that tomorrow is coming. We need to get ready for it. We can do that and look forward to it. And even, third point in your outline, we can lean into it. I love the way this picture captures that idea. Can't you just feel how those, those runners can't wait for the starter's pistol to set them on their race? We can have that same attitude. But there's only one reason why. Only one reason we can lean into the future filled as it is with, with difficulty and uncertainty. And that reason is stated in one word. The word that in my estimation is the most powerful word in our text. Maybe even in all of scripture. That word is hope. That's the last fill in the blank in your outline too. Hope helps. See, what we learn from the past is that we can trust God. Why we lean into the future is because of the hope which grows out of that trust. Hope is a word that looks 
to the future, just like the season of Advent. Advent doesn't exist for itself. It looks to the future, to Christmas. This is a season of hope, when people dare to dream. And I don't just mean kids dreaming of the presents under the tree. That's certainly there. But in Advent, also adults sometimes allow ourselves to hope for things we otherwise might not. Maybe we hope that this year Christmas will bring with it a restored relationship with an estranged friend or, or family member. Or maybe a new beginning of, of some kind at, at work or at home. Or a, a new and deeper understanding of what God desires for us. But you know, in that regard, our, our outline could be misleading. Because hope doesn't just help, as if that would be nice, but, but not necessary. No, hope is absolutely essential. And it's completely lacking without Christ. We live in a world that so desperately needs and wants hope. But which looks for it in all the wrong places. In many ways that can be symbolized by those presents under the Christmas tree. But what do those presents represent? And, and why do we give those presents? Isn't it with a hope to make somebody happy? And that's great as, as far as it goes. But you know, the, the hope of happiness many times goes unfulfilled. And we all know that, that happiness can be very fleeting. How much better to hope for what God promises because we know that will be ours. So as those gifts begin to pile up under the tree and with them the possibilities of what they contain, let's remind ourselves that the best Christmas gift has already been given. And that with that gift and the life he would live and the death he would die come so many other gifts. Gifts we are truly hoping for. Like the joy and the peace St. Paul talks about. Hope makes it possible for us to begin to enjoy those gifts right now. Even as it anticipates an even richer measure of them in the future. Well, who knows what the future holds? Well, actually, we do. Not everything, of course, not even close. But we know this much. It goes back to what we've learned from the past, that we can trust God. We can trust him to be with us wherever we are. And ultimately, we can trust him to take us to be with him where he is in heaven. That's our hope. That's our certainty. And that's why with St. Paul, my prayer for you is, may the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the peace of God and joy and hope and all of those things that, that pass our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.